transitioning isn't the bright and cheery experience that it's made out to be by the trans community. Hello everyone and welcome to This is a Woman podcast. Today I have with me Chloe Cole and Chloe Cole is one of the leaders um, in the movement fighting to protect children from transgender surgeries and Chloe herself is a detransitioner and has an amazing powerful story. She has been sharing it from testifying um, across um, the country to going to DC and sharing her story and she is just a total powerhouse. So Chloe, we are so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so Chloe, um, can you just go ahead and just dive into your story and just kind of share with all those listening your story and then we'll do maybe some questions after that. Right, so I've been speaking out for about a year about my experience of having transitioned, having gone through a gender transition as a minor and back and why I believe personally why that this should never be done to children or anybody under the age of 18 really and that the standards of care should be revised for these patients. Um, I started to socially transition at the age of 12 which meant that like I was changing my, my name, um, like coming out to my family and some friends and like the way that I the way that I dressed and um, like my the way I cut my hair and such and then at 13 I began the process of medically transitioning um, I started with puberty blockers and testosterone, and at 15, I underwent a double mastectomy, the, um, the permanent surgical removal of my breasts, and um, I started to detransition about a year afterward at 16 because of my regret from transitioning, especially the mastectomy, and the realization that I wanted to be a mother one day, that I wanted to have my own kids, and that by going down this path, I was going to impede my ability to do so. And so you said you started um, in your, I mean, you weren't even a teenager yet really when you started going through um, changing your name and identifying as a boy. And for those of you that are listening, if you're not familiar with the term detransitioner, what it means is um, it is someone who transitioned to the sex opposite of their biological sex and then has come to regret it or chosen to go back to their biological sex. So Chloe, when you started around 11, 12 years old, like you said, what initiated that? What did just one day you decide that I'm a boy or were there things that affected that? What caused that? Um, well, from a young age, I already, I'd always felt more like a tomboy and I'd fit in more with my, my brothers, um, and with the boys my age for quite a while. Um, I found it difficult to relate to other girls really, especially as I started to hit puberty and as I got older, I started to take on more, I guess, stereotypically boyish interests and even like the way that I dressed. And I didn't have the most positive view of what being a woman was really. Um, 
I had friends growing up who were sexually abused and assaulted, and I found it really terrifying just to listen to their own experiences. And it made me wonder, like, well, what are the chances that this didn't happen to me if I know so many people who this has happened to, right? Mm -hmm. And I started to associate being a woman in femininity with being weak, being stupid, being inferior, and I didn't really want to have any part in that. Um, I started puberty at a fairly young age. I was about eight or nine when I started developing breasts. Um, I was just going to my fourth grade year, and there were already people who were making comments on the developing parts of my body, and it was just really humiliating for me. Um, I just became super conscious of my body, and eventually I started to compare myself with the other girls my age as I got older, and I didn't feel pretty. I didn't feel like I would ever be a pretty girl, and because of that, I didn't feel like I would be worthy as a woman because I thought that I didn't look enough, because I wasn't feminine enough. Sometimes I wondered why I was even born a girl, and I felt like I would be better off as a boy. Mm -hmm. But the idea that I actually was a boy didn't really start to come to my head until I was introduced to transgenderism through social media. Mm -hmm. Through, initially, it was through um, communities around like gaming, um, some of the cartoons and anime that I watched. A lot of the users in those communities were young girls or young women who identified as transgender, non-binary, as boys. And I felt like I related to this group. I really related to this group of people. And mm -hmm. I started to question, first it was my sexuality until I realized that I didn't really care about that. That, was, that wasn't really what was bothering me. That I still felt like there was something that was setting me apart from my peers, um, and especially the girls my age, and even like my own sisters. And I just started to feel over time as though I just wasn't ever made to be a girl. Mm -hmm. That I was destined to be a boy. And you touched on the fact that you just, you didn't feel beautiful, you didn't feel worthy to be a girl. And did you ever have anyone in your life tell you that it's okay to not feel comfortable in your body? Like you said, you started puberty at a young age. And I think a lot of girls feel uncomfortable in their bodies going through puberty. And so did anyone ever tell you that? Or what was your experience with that? I mean, sometimes I would hear in discussions but like stuff I was reading in school about puberty, about how it's uncomfortable, but it was it was pretty cliche, and I still, even like understanding this and knowing that I was a tomboy, it still felt like there was something wrong, that there was something beneath the surface that I just couldn't really figure out. Hmm. And it took and, a while for me to, to really do so. Hmm. And you said, then on social media is where you started learning about transgenderism and so when you were learning about that was it all positive things about transgenderism was there any warnings to what could happen what were you hearing i mean for the most part it was pretty positive um at least the discussion around like the act of transitioning and around having like community of people who would be supportive of and love you kind of like a second family 
Mm -hmm. um, that was what really drew me in. But the only negative discussion wasn't necessarily around like the, the side effects of the medication that they're taking or of how hard transitioning could be. It was more about the feeling of gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was made out to be the worst part about it rather than the act of actually doing it and the complications that could arise from it, either socially or medically. Mm -hmm. And then you started, so you started hearing about transgenderism, and so you obviously hit a point where you thought, maybe this is what I want to do. And so when you hit that point, did you talk to your parents about it? Did, who did you reach out to? Um, at first, I kind of just kept it to myself. Um, the first person that I told was my older sister. Um, she was pretty supportive and wanted to make me feel comfortable. Um, eventually started telling people from school about it, and they were actually pretty mean about it. Um, once I started cutting my hair short and wearing different clothes, people would like, they would make fun of me, they would make comments about me, they'd call me all sorts of things, they'd call me a lesbian, they'd, um, they weren't particularly nice to me, but I, honestly, I mostly, <clears throat> I mostly attribute that to the fact that we're all like middle schoolers, we're all preteens, mm -hmm. and when you're at that age, when you're starting to hit puberty, you don't feel great, and so a lot of time, kids that age will just kind of take it out on their peers, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but yeah, the negative response that I got from my peers, I feel like kind of pushed me further into it, because I wanted to prove them wrong. I wanted mm -hmm. to prove to them that one day I would actually look like and sound like and even be a boy that they would be ashamed of themselves for even for the way that they would be that that they treated me. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, like you said, you started cutting your hair shorter <clears throat> and kind of maybe dressing more like a boy. But what were the initial steps to actually receiving medication? And were did you just show up to a doctor's office one day, or did your parents have to get involved? How did that come to play? So once I came out to my parents. Uh, it was about a month before my 13th birthday and I decided I would write them a letter just telling them that I didn't want to be their daughter anymore. I wanted, I wanted to be their son. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to start calling me a boy and buy a new name and I hoped that they would still love me the same and accept me. And they did. And they tried their best to accommodate me. but. Naturally, it was it was hard. I mean, they'd known me as their their daughter for for twelve years, and I mean, I didn't exactly look like a like a boy at the time. Mm -hmm. And they also knew that this is a problem that was having to do with my mental health and a lot of my my struggles with that growing up. They saw that pretty much immediately. And so their response was to start sending me to a therapist because of that. Um, and the therapist was through our healthcare provider. They not only wanted me to wanted to help me with the feelings that I was struggling with, they also hoped that the psychologist would help to kind of get to the bottom with, of it, where kind of figure out where I was stemming from, and to help them as my parents with getting through it as well. To give, some, to, to give them some advice. Mm -hmm. But that had never really happened. Um, 
I mean, my, my doctors only really took the approach of firming me, and for the most part, they didn't really have any other choice. That's just kind of the standard protocol that there is. And, I mean, here in California, if you're not following the affirmative care model and your treatment for a patient with gender dysphoria, you could potentially be fired or even lose your medicine license because you're practicing conversion therapy. Mm. But I started to get frustrated because I felt like nothing was really happening while I was in therapy. Like, none of the problems I was really having at school or even my gender dysphoria were really being resolved. And I wasn't really being taught any ways of coping with it. It was just like my psychologist would just kind of listen to me talk about my problems and be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, that's weird. All right. Just somebody to listen to. Just somebody who would listen to me, but not really give me any help. And I was getting frustrated with socially transitioning as well because I still didn't pass as the opposite sex and I still wasn't being seen as a boy. And I wanted to start taking on more masculine features and I wanted a deeper voice. And I really wanted to just to actually go on the path of medically transitioning. And I told my parents about this and they started to get concerned as to why I wanted it so badly. They didn't really understand why. They went to my doctors for a second opinion to maybe not only figure out where these feelings were coming from, but they wanted to know why I wanted this so badly, why it couldn't just wait until I was an adult, and what the chances would be of me regretting this were I to go, go through it as a kid. And their concerns were just completely dismissed. They were told that I had a higher rate of regretting going through puberty than I would if I were to regret going through transition. They said that it was likely that I would kill myself were I not allowed to. But that wasn't true. I wasn't suicidal until I was on these treatments. Mm. So starting the treatments, um, like you said, you weren't suicidal till you were on these treatments. So when you started the treatments, did life get better at all for a little bit or did it stay the same? Did you feel better when you started developing maybe masculine um, features or what was that like? Yeah, I mean, initially I felt great after starting on testosterone because uh, about a month or so earlier, they put me on puberty blockers, which uh, the medication I was taking was called Lupron, and it basically stopped my body from creating its own sex hormones. And because I was already a few years into puberty, I was basically put into a state of artificially induced menopause, and it felt awful. Like, I was experiencing at 13 what most women start to experience once they're like in their late 40s to early 50s. Like I was getting hot flashes, I was getting like full body itching, I was very lethargic, and it was really hard for me to deal with. So naturally I was pretty excited to go on to the next step. And I saw starting testosterone as a huge step in my life to becoming my true self as a boy. And that thought alone was pretty exciting, but um, the changes started to come pretty quickly. Um, psychologically, I became more 
more confident. I was happier. I was more energetic. I started to become more competitive with my male peers. And the physical changes started rolling pretty quickly as well. Um, my voice started to drop maybe no later than like two or three weeks afterward. It was pretty dramatic. Um, and it got really deep really quick. And then my, my face shape started to change. It became more masculine, more square. My brow bone, jaw bone, cheekbones, and even my nose started to, started to become stronger looking. And my my upper body started to get bigger, and my lower body my lower body started to slim down. I started developing more muscle, and I really enjoyed looking like I was like I was fit, like I was healthy, and it was really easy to build muscle. Um, and then once I went to high school, by that point in time, um, well, I didn't really come out to a whole lot of people in middle school. Really, mm-hmm. most of them didn't know that I was trans. Um, up until like the physical st- the physical the physical changes started to roll in, and they kind of just suspected that that was what um, what I was pursuing. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I went to high school, like I passed as pretty much almost perfectly as a boy of of, of my age at the time. Um, I had a deeper voice than most of my peers, uh, my male peers throughout high school. Um, and for the most part, people only knew me as a boy. Most people had no idea that I was actually biologically female, save for people who, uh, I went to elementary and middle school with, or some people who, um, I was out into behind my back a few times. Um, Mm -hmm. and it felt great to be perceived as a boy, to not have to deal with the hardships of socially being female. Um, yeah, so... There are people who had, like... There are people who had crushes on me. It mm-hmm. was mostly... Mostly girls, which I didn't really have any interest in in girls. And even the girls who... I felt like I could have interest in. I didn't really want to make any effort to... Like, enter a relationship with them, because... I... I understood even then that I wasn't an actual biological male and I wouldn't be exactly what they were looking for. And over time, as being perceived as a boy just became normal for me, just another part of my life, the hardship started to come in. So, like you said, at this point, though, you're kind of on a high. You're everyone really knows you as a boy people are having crushes on you you're experiencing everything you maybe thought you wanted but right so all these physical changes yeah but mentally how were you doing at this point um well i was pretty excited and i felt like my life was really starting to to pick up and Mm -hmm. that it was going where i wanted it to um Especially as, like, I went to high school, was being seen in public as a boy, like, being called sir and such by waiters. And, like, my friends and people around me starting to refer to me as a boy, calling me, like, bro, buddy, dude, Mm. stuff like that. It was just the little things that really made me happy. Mm. And then you eventually, though, um, 
wanted to go even further than just taking medication. And at 15, you got a double mastectomy. And what led you to kind of doing that? Um, <clears throat> well, by that point in time, I had been using a binder for about two years, which a binder is basically a device that looks sort of like a tank top or like a sports bra, depending on the length. Um, but it's designed to sort of uh, compress the breasts to make the, ch the chest look flatter. And they're often used by like funeral cross-dressers or drag kings, um, by males who have gynecomastia, or in my case, um, trans-identified women. Um, and I also had like a little bit of sexual trauma that had been unresolved. Um, before I started using a binder, I was sexually assaulted by a classmate of mine. He groped my, one of my one of my breasts in an attempt to, um, to intimidate me. And I never really reported the incident to anybody, any, any adults, because I thought that they couldn't help me. I didn't know what the, what the school staff would do about it. I, I imagine that they probably would have given the kid, um, uh, a really crappy punishment, like maybe like a two-day suspension, um, detention maybe, but it was very likely that he would come back to school and potentially do something worse to me. And I felt like I couldn't fight for myself and that, I mean, I'm supposed to be a guy, right? So I should just man up about it. I can't be weak like that, you know? And because the situation wasn't dealt with properly, um, it made it so that I didn't really process through it. I didn't even realize that it was sexual assault for the longest time. Um, and it was what ultimately prompted me to start binding, to start hiding my breasts, because it kind of, uh, it sort of amplified my view that being a woman or like having any parts of myself as a woman or my femininity exposed would make me vulnerable. It would make me weak. And I wanted to protect myself from something like that happening again. And I also was just in the mindset of, well, I'm supposed to be a boy. I'm not supposed to have these things on my chest. I don't want them. And I don't want to have to wear this binder every day, all the time for on average, maybe like eight or so hours a day. I hated it. It was uncomfortable and I wanted to be free of it and just be like any other boy, um, being able to change the locker room or just have my shirt off without, without worrying. And so then <clears throat> when you went to go get the double mastectomy, was it something that maybe your doctors were a little bit concerned with or your therapist, or did you just kind of say, this is what I want and they did it? How did that process go? Um, well, unlike the puberty blockers, um, which I had the very first endocrinologist who I was referred to say no to um, putting me on them because he was concerned about my brain development, mm -hmm. none of my doctors, not a single one of them, expressed any concern about me having a mastectomy. My parents did, and they were told the same lie that I would commit suicide if I wasn't affirmed in my identity or my decision to transition. 
Yeah, and I've heard you um, talk before regarding the situation your parents were in with all this, and um, you mentioned that your parents were equally as victim to this whole ideology, and that they, I think you said once something along the lines of, they were told, do you want a dead daughter or an alive son? Right, and that's so the ultimatum in, they gave them every time. So in their and they were mind- told lies about, They were told lies about, about me, about the treatment. They said that I would be suicidal if I wasn't allowed to make this decision when at the time, before I started medically transitioning, they did an assessment of me. They knew that I had a previous diagnosis of ADHD and that I, that I very possibly had autism, that I was being medicated and that I struggled socially. But I was a pretty peppy kid. I was in high spirits. And other than struggling with school and socialization, I was doing pretty well up until they started putting me on these treatments. And my mom and dad and I weren't told that if I were to just live my life as a kid, if I was just left alone without any intervention, it's very likely that I would have grown out of, that I would have grown out of these these feelings. We weren't told that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you were just kind of what it sounds like constantly encouraged to move along in the transition and take the next steps instead of any therapist or doctor saying let's let's slow down it sounds like maybe your parents wanted to slow things down but they also ultimately listened to the doctors Mm -hmm. i mean i really think my parents did the best with what they were given which Mm -hmm. unfortunately it wasn't very much Yeah, and and that- I mean, I was the one who was, I wouldn't say that I was really forced by anybody to undergo these procedures, but I wasn't really told that I had another choice. I thought that it was the only means of treating this condition that I had, but it wasn't. I wasn't given any, any other information than that transitioning was the cure to gender dysphoria, and that it would make me better. I really did just see it as a treatment for my uh, my affliction. And so again, that's what led you to go going through all these steps. And you had your mastectomy, and then how much longer was it from your mastectomy though to the detransitioning? It didn't take very long, actually. Um, the regret started to come in a few months after my mastectomy. Uh, once the high wore off, once I started to to miss some parts of being a woman, the the intimacy that I could have with, with other women, the people around me, being able to trust other people with my feelings and to confide in them with it, um, to be able to express myself with things like makeup or clothing and having long hair and feeling pretty to yeah and so to feel to feel feel more feminine in general and it was a hard thing for me to to come to terms to because I was already so deep in transitioning I didn't think that there was any way out 
And so in my head, I sort of justify it as, well, maybe I'm just an effeminate boy. Maybe I'm not really either sex. Maybe I'm non-binary. But there's no way that I couldn't be trans, right? Because I've already gone this path. There's no way that I can go back. But it came to the point that I couldn't keep doing what I was doing because... Um, in my junior year, I was taking a psychology class, and one of the one of the chapters was about like uh, parenting and the psychological and emotional development of children and adolescents, and it was all very novel to me, very interesting to me, and I started to discover that I wanted to have kids of my own one day, that I wanted to go through the process of having biological children and just being able to foster the development and watch them grow. I didn't realize how special that really was until I was reading about it. And it hurt me that I would never even have the choice of breastfeeding my children and just how wrong that is. How because I was being able to make adult decisions as a child, I was losing parts of myself and opportunities as an adult. Yeah, and you, when you started getting on the testosterone and had your mastectomy, did any doctor tell you that this would have, could affect your ability to have children or that this would affect your ability to breastfeed? Were you given those warnings? Yeah. I mean, I was told that during the consultation. Um, I was given uh, a list of side effects for each procedure. Um, we had a discussion about it, but I was a naive kid, you know? I mean, children are never really thinking about their family in the future mm-hmm. or having kids of their own because they're still growing up. They're not at that point yet. And no matter how much information I was given, as a kid, I just would not be able to consent to something that would be, that really would be a part of me for the rest of my life. No kid can really fathom what permanence will really mean. And my doctors didn't really make any effort to do so either. They, my, my endocrinologist, when she was talking about not only the fact that my fertility might be affected, but also like some of the potential side effects like vaginal atrophy. Well, at the time, I was 13. And I didn't even know yet that there were four stages of the menstrual cycle, that ovulation was a thing, that there was such thing as fallopian tubes or a cervix, and yet I was being allowed to make a decision that would affect every single one of those things. And my doctor who knew, who understood all of this completely, didn't make any effort to help me do so. Yeah, so you were just, you know, like you said, you were given a little information on it, but again, you were a child and having to consent to things that, in your mind, kind of maybe all you were seeing was, yeah, this is going to help me be a boy quicker and not see down the road what it might affect. Um, so when you were consenting to getting the mastectomy and to um, getting on testosterone, 
did your parents have to sign off or give consent or was your consent alone good enough or how did that work? Yeah, um, they had to have at least one of my parents sign off on it and both my parents agreed to it. But I mean, it was under the, the guise of mm -hmm. life-saving care. It was under the pretense that I not only understood what I was consenting to, but that it would be beneficial to me. And they yeah. were very much lied to about this as much as I was. And so, but then like you said, you were a junior in high school. You're starting to take these classes where you're learning about children and family and all of that. And so is that ultimately what prompted you to detransitioning between the class and then the own feelings you were kind of feeling about wanting a family one day and being a woman again? Yeah, I mean, I was sort of on that way, but were it not for that, it would have taken a very, very long time for me to, to get out of it. And I don't know if I ever would have, if I would have survived to get to that point, if I didn't learn about things like that. And did you feel, so when you decided, you know what, I think I want to be a woman and I want to detransition, did you even know detransitioning was a thing? Did you know no. there was a way to go back? I had no idea. The word detransition was never used in my consultations for the treatment. It was never even brought up as a possibility to me. It was my parents who asked about it, but I don't believe that I was in the room for that even. Um, I didn't know what desistant, that desistance was a possibility even, or just the idea that I could regret this was so foreign to me because while I was in it, I felt like I was, I felt happy. It felt good to be the way that I was for some time anyway. And so then you started the detransition process. Did you talk to your doctors regarding it? Did your parents kind of throw out, hey, you can do this? How did you get to doing that? Um, it was a few weeks after I, um, after I completed that class that I really came to the realization that I didn't want to do it anymore. And I took my last testosterone shot. Um, I cried for a few days. Um, I was basically just stuck in my bed for a few more. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself for the, for the longest time, but I told my mom and dad about it. Of course, they were supportive of me, but they, they felt guilty. Like they were the ones who brought this upon me and it was hard for them to see me in this, in this state. I tried to get my doctors involved. I went back to each one of them who was involved in this. Uh, first, I started with my endocrinologist just because like, I was going off hormones and I wanted to maybe have some, um, some guidance on how to stop, but she didn't really help me. Um, she was to, supposed to do like routine blood tests to see how my hormone levels were at like compared to the average woman my age and she stopped scheduling them. Um, my gender specialist who referred me to surgery, I spoke to her a few times just about the regret of the fact that I was detransitioning. I wanted to report that. 
just to make sure that they had that that information on file, but also just to talk about how it harmed me. And I feel like psychologically, I never really got any help from anybody. There was there was one point in time when she even told me like, "Well, this is just another part of your gender journey, right?" Just completely dismissing my experience, making it about my gender, like that was the issue. And my surgeon, um, I scheduled an appointment with him last year because I started having some some issues with my skin grafts. A few years post-op, they started to they started to weep fluid, and mm. I have to wear bandages over my chest every day because of it, and. When I told him about it, it felt like he was really dismissing my concerns about it. And he said, well, you know, you, you should just put Vaseline on it for now and keep bandaging it. Which didn't make sense to me because it's already weeping fluid. But I, you know, he's he's done this to several patients. I just thought that maybe he, he's seen this before and that's how he treated it. So I decided to take his advice, and in doing so, it actually, I got a skin infection for a day or two. Um, the wound produced like thrice as much fluid as it did, and it actually leaked through my shirt, which had never happened before. And I couldn't go back to any of my doctors, really. I mean, how could I trust them after all that, after they had put me into the situation and refused to help me get out of it. Yeah, and so who who did you seek out then? Or did you have to kind of figure this out on your own? I'm, I can't figure it out. I don't know what this is. I don't know how to deal with all these complications. And if I go out of network, it's going to be incredibly expensive. I mean, I, I can't even trust a therapist within my network because they're who got me into the situation in the first place. And, well, first of all, I'm so sorry that there there's doctors that helped you through this to transition, but now there's not doctors and therapists there to help you as you detransitioned and now what you're dealing with. And so, but is that kind of what has encouraged you to speak out and be so vocal about this because I mean I'm sure everyone who's listening has heard of your name and the great work you're doing but if they're not maybe I would say the past two years you can correct me that you've been kind of going around the country and sharing your story and why what encouraged you to do that why do you feel called to do that um I mean just the absolute callousness and lack of care for my doctors has been definitely been a big part of it. But also the response that I got from the trans community, how I was basically excommunicated and how they harassed me just for talking about my experience and how I was harmed by this and trying to warn others that detransition is even a possibility. Um, I also started to um, enter communities online that were focused on detransition and it was kind of encouraging knowing that I 
wasn't the only one who was suffering with this, but it was equal parts terrifying because that's not something I want. I don't want people to go through transition and come out with the same result. I don't want I don't want there to ever be somebody who regrets transition and goes through the same pain that I have. And I also instinctively knew, even though at the time that most of these people who I was interacting with were adults and had been through the process as adults, there has to be somewhere out there another child who has had this exact same experience. And I felt like I was strong enough to be able to start speaking out. But what about those kids? They don't always have a voice. And I wanted to be able to speak for those of us who have been harmed by, by this, by this practice, and hopefully to encourage other people to start speaking out about their own experiences as well when they feel ready. Yeah, and we have, I think, seen just in the past couple of months, um, there there has been more younger detransitioners that have spoken up. And I really think you've led the way for that and encouraged people to do that. I mean, um, today at the California State Capitol, a detransitioner, her name's Layla, she testified and she told them how, how many more kids are going to have to be hurt until you stop creating bills that hurt us. But I think I mean, whether you notice it or see it or not, we're seeing there are just being so many great changes and powerful people, powerful voices come out and speaking because of what you've started, Chloe, and because of you saying, you know what, I'm going to go speak out on this. And can you talk a little bit? You said when you detransitioned and you were trying to share your story about what transitioning did to you, the trans community basically excommunicated you. How was it only like maybe hate that you received or have you also received lots of support from people by sharing your story? How has that been for you? I mean, it was a pretty quick, almost like a reflex for them to, for a lot of my former trans friends to suddenly start hating me and and telling, telling me that just by talking about my experience, I was wrong, that I was being harmful and potentially preventing other people from getting the care that they needed. And even that by transitioning erroneously, that I was taking away resources from the people who truly needed these treatments. Um, And it was a very harsh response. I eventually stopped speaking about it for a little bit just because I couldn't handle all the hate that I was getting. And this was all just all my on my personal social media at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a big following. It was like maybe several hundred people who I was friends with, either um, mo- mostly mostly online. Um, I even had some people from school telling me like, "You're supposed to. You should be taking accountability for your own actions. Like you did this to yourself. Like nobody nobody else is to blame here." Um, but as I've started to speak out publicly, I've gotten a lot more support than I have um, any hatred. And I'm incredibly thankful for that because I, I knew 
because of the response that I'd received when I initially started the transition from the trans community and from people who call themselves allies, that I was going to receive a lot of hate and that it could potentially get violent. But I didn't, I really didn't expect that people would be so supportive of me telling my story. Yeah, I'm very grateful for that. And it seems like, just based off what you're saying, that if you want to change, try to change the gender you were born as, that the transgender community brings you in and affirms you and celebrates you and helps you, but the second you want to go back to the um, gender you were actually born as, to go back to your um, biological sex, you were just kind of left on your own. Right. I mean, some of the people who treated me the worst after I stopped transitioning were the ones who kind of egged on my transition in the first place. They were the ones who celebrated my mastectomy the most. And I think a big component of it is that they were incredibly jealous that I was receiving these procedures at such a young age. Um, And they also were fearful because I was somebody who was fairly decently far into the process. Um, I had pretty much a completed transition. And I still regretted it. I was under what the trans community really represents as the best possible outcome for transition. The best circumstances. Everybody around me was supportive. Everybody knew me as a boy. I passed pretty well as a member of the opposite sex and my dysphoria for the most part was resolved and yet I still detransitioned. And now detransitioning and now I mean you're just you're beautiful Chloe like I mean for those that are watching they can see you and it's just you're a stunning young lady how how are you feeling though? like after detransitioning and embracing who you are? Um, I mean, the trauma of what I had went through and the pain of regret was incredibly difficult for me to cope with for the longest time. And it's something that I'm still working through. Um, it still haunts me to this day because, well, I don't have any breasts anymore. Um, I'm still having some complications and just the fact that ever after every time I swim or every bath or shower I have to redress my wounds it's expensive it's time consuming and it's just a difficult reminder of what I'd been through but I mean in the end I'm a lot healthier and happier than I was and I'm embracing the truth now and I don't have to rely on these labels or medication to be who I really am and that's what matters and I'm so happy for you that like you're you're at that point where you see this is who I am and that's what matters and obviously there's still complications and struggles but you can like recognize who you really are and like who God made you to be And um, something I do want to touch on, though, is we've seen over the years with 
the whole transgender movement and people transitioning. It wasn't as common um, even just a couple years ago as it is now. And it used to be a lot more males would transition to females. And now we're seeing a lot of young girls saying that they're a boy or saying that they want to transition. And what is your message to those young girls that are going through confusion? Or maybe if you could, if there was a girl that you could talk to that is what going through what you were going through at 11, 12 years old, what would you say to her? Transitioning isn't the bright and cheery experience that it's made out to be by the trans community. It's incredibly difficult. It's a huge undertaking. It costs a lot of money and a lot of time, and it will be permanent. And when you're young, it's really hard to understand what permanence really means because you've only been in the world for, for so many years. It takes a lot of lived years and experience to know whether this might be something that you want to take on, not only because it is, it will affect you forever in some form, but also because it will, it'll affect your body. It'll affect the way that you, that you grow and mature. It'll affect your sexual function, reproductive capabilities, and pretty much the whole picture of your health. And that's something that's not really properly addressed by doctors for the most part. But even social transition is very difficult. There's a lot of nuances socially that, are, that can be difficult to pick on, to pick up on if you aren't the opposite sex. And it's just very stressful. It's not an easy way to live. And it's also not the only way to cope with these feelings. Um, chances are that it's very likely that you're going to grow out of feeling like this, that puberty could be the cure to these feelings and that these feelings can be coming from an underlying trauma or stressor. And it takes a lot of, a lot of maturity and a lot of introspection to be able to determine whether this might be something that you want to do or not. But also, your worth isn't based on your looks or your body. It shouldn't be. The problem is not your body or the way that you look. It's just the way that you look at it. Yeah, that's so powerful, I think, for young girls to hear. You know, they look in the mirror and let's be honest, what... 12 year old girl really likes the way she looks what 16 year old girl looks in the mirror and likes the way she looks and I think even with social media nowadays you you have your phone and you can see all these girls that are bikini models all of a sudden on social media why don't I look like that and right I think like you said it's the way that you look at your body everyone's different and you're beautiful in your own way but is that what girls are being told today? What do you think girls are hearing? What were you hearing about that on social media? Um, I mean, I was seeing pretty much the same thing. And even though I would see posts that were about like body positivity, or, like being comfortable in your own skin, it just felt like something that wasn't really achievable for me for one reason or another. I had, it wasn't just my feelings around my body. It was about being a woman in general 
and just the how difficult it is to have to adhere to so many or feeling that you have to adhere to so many expectations and it's hard when it's constantly in your face with with this device that you have in your hand where you can access all this information at once it's very it's very difficult to process even for adults yeah and like you said even for adults so um, there's people that kind of listen to this podcast from different states, but I am based here in California and a lot of adults there, they don't know what to do. They don't know who to trust when their kids come to them with these issues. And what is an advice you can give to those parents when they have their young child coming to them confused or with these questions? What's something, maybe what's something you wish your parents heard when you're going through this? Um, I mean, I don't think the first step should be to pathologize these feelings because a lot of the time it comes from perfectly normal concerns that a lot of people have during childhood and adolescence. Um, these feelings of insecurity around, around one's body. Um, it's something that I think most, if not all people go through when they're going through puberty. Um, but it's important to listen to your child, to see where they're coming from, and meet them there. And that doesn't necessarily mean giving in to their desires, but you have to give them what they need. It might be a cry for help because they might need more attention. They feel like they're struggling and that they're not really being heard out. And a lot of these kids who are struggling with gender dysphoria are struggling with having a sense of community. Many of them are being bullied at school and don't really have like a niche to fit in socially. And that's what that's what seems so promising about the trans community to so many of these young people because it seems not only so so vibrant and so happy, but because it seems superficially so interconnected and so close. And that's what I think everybody really craves. They want to feel like they're part of something, that they're loved and appreciated. And that's something that you have to give them. But you also have to make sure that they feel that amongst their peers too, whether that be in like a school club or a sport or maybe like an extracurricular act activity. But it's important to have that sort of interaction and inter interconnectedness with one's peers. and. To be as involved in their life as possible, to be vigilant, to see where this idea is coming from, that they can actually become the opposite sex, whether it's from their peer group or from social media or online, or if they're being taught it in school. Hmm. And to sort of weed that out if you have to, like, maybe move between schools or homeschool them or take away their, their devices. And it's a lot easier to say than it is to actually do. It can get incredibly difficult trying to help your child to desist and just live as a child. Um, in most cases, it's not going to be an easy process, but it will be worthwhile. And your child is depending on you. Yeah, it's like you said, it's not going to be easy but the parent just has to get involved and figure out where it's coming from. I think right. that's 
just from hearing you share your story, it doesn't sound, and again, not your parents, because they were just being told by doctors and therapists what to do, but the doctors and therapists, no one wanted to see where are these feelings coming from? Just how can we help her get to like celebrate these feelings and become a boy instead of staying a girl? But right. another thing is, you know, you've gone across um, the country testifying up at the Capitol. So not only are you speaking to different groups, you're going and testifying against bills that are helping to transition children. Um, and so I think what we see a lot today is if someone says that they don't want a child to transition, they're told that they're transphobic instead of just people being able to realize that they don't think a child should be able to like mutilate or sterilize their bodies. And so what do you have to say to those people that just say you're transphobic if you don't want someone to experience this? I'm not transphobic. I. I don't hate transgender people. Some of my greatest friends and supporters are transgender, but it's something that should be reserved strictly for adults because children and adolescents and even young adults are notorious for making irresponsible decisions. And that's why they're protected from certain things legally, like not being able to drink or buy cigarettes or marijuana or being able to, to rent a car. Um, I mean, even on some of my trips, because I'm under the age of 21, I'm not allowed to check into certain hotels because of that, because there is a bar, because... And yet, I was allowed to make a permanent decision between the ages of 13 and 16. It's ridiculous to expect a child to have the cognition and a proper understanding of the world that's needed to be able to make a decision that will affect them, their growth, and the rest of their life. It is absolutely not about hate. It is about the protection of children. Yeah, you put it so perfectly. It's. It's about the protection of children. That's the perfect way to sum it up. Um, and I, I know we've already taken so much of your time, so we'll wrap things up. But if you could just say anything, something that's on your heart, something you want young girls to hear. I mean, you've already given so much great advice throughout this whole um, recording. But if there's just, I'm just going to open it up for you to say anything that's really on your heart that you want girls to hear. Um... Well, it's easy to get caught up in frivolous things like social media and the way that you look, but it's important to spend most of your time on the things that really matter, like school or your community or your own hobbies and interests, for example, to make sure that you're working on something for the better of the world around you for the people around you and for yourself. Yeah, it's like, I think you put it perfectly. If you're, I think when you focus on trying to make the world a better place or the people around you um, better, maybe that kind of takes away from constantly looking at yourself and wanting right. to change things about yourself. I love that. Um, 
So for all of those listening and tuning in, what's the best way they can find you, whether it's on social media or do you have a website or what's the best way for people to learn more about you? Yeah, um, I'm active on social media. Um, I mainly use Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm also on YouTube as well at C-H-O-O-O-C-O-L-E. Perfect. That does get kind of confusing though. So, I mean, you can just find me by looking up Chloe Cole on those platforms, so. Perfect, and we'll go ahead and put your social media and all of that in the caption so people can find it that way as well. And just one final thing, um, Chloe, how can we, and myself and all the people that listen, how can we be praying for you in this time? What can we be praying for, for you? Um, well, I'm having some pretty serious complications, as I said, mainly having to do with the surgery and also with some of the lasting effects of the androgen therapy and, and the, uh, the blockers. And at some point I'm going to have to switch healthcare providers and I hope that my my new doctors will be able to to help me with these complications, and that I'll be able to find um, proper care um, for the trauma that I've been through. Um, and I'm also suing my old doctors and healthcare provider, and it's going to be a pretty serious battle. Um, I'm very hopeful about it, but I'm also quite nervous. I don't know how it's going to uh, to turn out, but I feel like even if in the end I don't win the lawsuit, that it is going to help to bring a lot of attention to this issue, and hopefully, I can it can help other people to be able to seek legal legal justice as well. Um, and. I'm very lucky to say that I detransitioned so so early, um, and even just the fact that I did. Uh, for most people, it takes maybe between like five years to take a decade, if not several. And there's still a lot more people out there, adults and children. Are struggling through this and it's destroying them and it's destroying families and it's destroying entire institutions it's invaded healthcare, mm -hmm. education schools colleges it's everywhere yeah. and i have hope for the world that it will heal for them from this but it's going to have to take a lot of effort and a lot of bravery in order to defeat this mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's stories like yours and you willing to just boldly be out there and share your experience and encourage people um, to maybe really just embrace who they were born as. That's making all the difference. So, Chloe, we will be praying for you as you go through this lawsuit and just the complications you're going through. And I just want to encourage you as well. Um, John 16:33. It's a Bible verse that I constantly go back to, and ultimately says that in this world we're gonna have lots of struggles, but take heart, God has overcome the world. And so, like you said, 
I think this is a battle. We're going to win with you being the team leader and the team captain just taking us along for the win. But ultimately, we have to rest in whatever happens here in the world. God's already won. He's won the biggest battle. But thank you so much, Chloe, for all you do. Thank you for speaking out um, just truth. And thank you for the encouragement you've been able to give to all the ladies that were on, um, tuning in today. And thank you for for giving me a platform for giving me the time to, to talk about my own experience and just allowing me to to speak on this. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Chloe.